So I've made a bunch of different claims here in this intro talk very fast. Uh, one of them was that civilization is a superintelligence. Uh, I argued like very broadly that the superintelligence already exists uh, of uh, human entities, of computing entities. They're already kind of cooperating um, and that there's a few ways in which we can do that uh, better. So I wonder, um, you know, given your background, uh, what uh, do you have anything to add of uh, looking at civilization as a superintelligence? And if so, why do you think computer security is so important at this intersection? Okay. So first of all, what we mean by intelligence is something very distinct from consciousness or self-awareness. We think of it in terms of problem-solving ability. And human institutions are already super intelligent. Good, many human, human institutions. Uh, human beings come together into good institutions in order to create a system that can solve problems that no one of them could solve individually. And then civilization as a whole is the ecosystem of those institutions and of the individuals. And civilization as a whole has this astonishing problem-solving ability that emerges from the interaction of all of the pieces in civilization that has largely become a peaceful, cooperative interaction uh, in which you have specialization and composition of knowledge. You have different individual people and institutions specializing in different areas, and then you have the voluntary request-making between entities that compose the specialized knowledge together into greater aggregate overall problem-solving ability. The issue of alignment, the way we think of that is, most of our history, the history until the last few centuries, most of that has been the history of tyranny. And it's only been within the last few centuries that we've figured out ways to guide and grow these institutions uh, so that the emergent effects are better aligned with human interests. And that the, and, and having the overall nature of the institutions emerge from those voluntary interactions of, of great variety of people pursuing a great variety of goals in a great variety of different ways. And the voluntary cooperation that we have in civilization emerges from that voluntary cooperation. And part of how civilization has rapidly grown more intelligent, has create, has rapidly uh, accelerated in its um, uh, the wealth that it provides us and the reduction, the incredible reduction of poverty. Uh, part of that is computers contribute to, and to the extent that civilization now rests on computer infrastructure to a substantial degree, and that's great in many ways. The problem is that the foundational computer infrastructure that all of civilization rests on is built to the wrong security premises. They're built to security premises that are so bad that not only do we see lots of insecurity, we, we believe that these architectures are fundamentally insecurable. You cannot get from here to a secure world. Why is civilization still standing despite that? It's because right now the exploitation of these vulnerabilities is limited by human effort. It takes human, human effort to find the vulnerability. It takes human efforts to construct exploits. And there's a great variety of different systems, so there's a great amount of human effort to try to do a coordinated attack across them. However, we know uh, through things like the DARPA Grand Challenge 
that the AI threshold, the, the software sophistication threshold, static analysis, et cetera, necessary to bring down civilization is behind us. Uh, so this whole thing about we're worried about some future AI threshold at which all of our civilization is in danger, that threshold is behind us. Um, the uh, What it takes to build a pathogen that can go out there, discover vulnerabilities in the systems that it's attacking, create exploits and, su and succeed at exploiting them, it seems like we it, it is known how to build such a pathogen, or it's at least very close. The fortunate thing right now is all the organizations that are capable of building such a pathogen have no interest in destroying the world. But we also know that anything that's possible in software today rapidly through automation becomes commodity and something script kiddies can deploy tomorrow. Great. Um, or terrifying more. Um. <laughs> Uh, all right, so maybe we're going to from the terrifying problem to a little bit of a solution. Um, we also argue that there are specific computer security paradigms or like uh, OCAPs, which you know you might know much more about than I do, certainly, um, that have this interesting feature by which they allow not only computing entities to cooperate, but um, potentially also are applicable enough that they can allow this voluntary cooperation framework um, uh, across very different uh, intelligences. So could you say a little bit more about like the parallels here and, um, uh, and really how like uh, an OCAPS framework or like similar frameworks, um, you know, could, could, could be universal enough at least or could point to something universal enough that it allows different types of entities, computing, human uh, and their intersections to cooperate together. The, when I talk about the current architectures being flawed, uh, I, one of the ways, there's many ways to understand that. One of the ways is historical. It's probably the most compact way to understand that, which is, uh, from the, from the early, from the late 60s, early 70s, we understood that there were kind of two opposite approaches to access control, uh, which we can characterize as identity-based or uh, represented by access control lists, which is the foundation of essentially every production computer system you've ever had your hands on. And on the opposite side, there's authorization-based for which the, the great representative is capabilities. The computer field basically was facing a fork in the road of which one to build out into a computer industry. They faced that fork in the road sometime in the late 70s, let's say. And that was way before we understood modern threats. It was also a very different world. The a lot of the research that went into building these systems was funded by the military. A lot of the adoption was by large organizations. And the security problem they were trying to solve was largely the interaction of people within the organization. And the strength of identity-based systems, it's very strong when you have hierarchical administration where the, the different people, the rights that they have at any one time are determined by some central administered policy or some hierarchically administered policy. Um, that's no longer the world that we're in. It doesn't fit the world that we're in. Most of the people that we interact with through these computer networks are people that there's no common administration that that's um, between us and them. And the strength of capabilities is capabilities are a decentralized system of rights and rights transfer, 
and piecemeal rights transfer. And it's much more adapted to the decentralized world that we're in. The reason we call our variant of it object capabilities is because of the natural matching to sort of the, the essential nature of, let's say, large object systems, which are also the essential nature, we believe, of, of what we see in cooperation society, which goes back to networks of entities making requests of other entities, where, so the, the, the message is the request that carries both information and piecemeal transfer of rights that needed to carry out the requests. Uh, so you have somewhat independent entities with, with, with defensive boundaries between them, but interacting through the, these, these requests. And we believe that that kind of voluntary cooperation of, of autonomous entities with some defensive boundaries between them make doing rights transfer as part of the process of cooperating with each other is a very, very general framework. And it's the framework in which the AI systems that various organizations are building are growing up. They're, in, they, they're, they're being grown within organizations that themselves have different goals, are creating different architectures, are going to be deploying those systems to serve different goals. And if we maintain the, the... So we're already starting out with these things growing up within the cooperative fabric and growing up in a multipolar way. Each one is so, trying to solve, is, is, has a need to solve whatever problems that organization has in the context of an overall civilization in which others are solving other problems. And the most effective way they can solve their problem is by making use of the fact that they can help other entities which are solving other problems and they can help them. Wonderful. Um, and getting maybe a little bit more concrete, if we take that as a potential solution uh, or approach, then what would it mean to actually drive progress in that area more? Like you've had certainly your role uh, to play in that. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. You can talk about like, perhaps like, you know, a few approaches to like get a bit more concrete. If we think about working groups here, what would it look like to actually uh, do something about this? Yeah. So uh, Eric, Eric Bretschler and I started working on this vision of worldwide computational markets. Uh, we started working on it actually in 83. We came out with the papers in 88. And that for me was sort of the driving vision. It's what we would today call uh, cryptographic, decentralized, permissionless computational markets. And uh, it was basically as an a, a integrated with, with human markets and together amplifying what's good about human civilization forward. And starting from there, it, looking at trying to understand the computational foundations, one of the things that's very clear in the papers is we, we explain capabilities and why they're kind of the necessary foundation because, because of this notion of decentralized policy uh, and, and incremental rights transfer. Uh, but then when, um, you know, after the papers were published and I started working on this and realizing that the world wasn't building the capability systems we needed, uh, uh, what I found, what I realized very quickly is that capabilities were actually a discredited paradigm. That, uh, that the dominant common wisdom in academia and in the, the elite of industry or the part of industry that would, that, that felt like they had an opinion on this is that this was a discredited paradigm. Capabilities seem attractive, but we already, we all know that they don't work for this variety of reasons. 
So my, so of all the contributions that I've made, uh, I think my biggest contribution was reviving a discredited paradigm, which in many ways is much harder than creating and promoting a new paradigm. Uh, and I've succeeded at that. Capabilities are now a mainstream topic of academic research. They're, they're widely understood and partially deployed in industry. Uh, and it's no longer, um, you know, the, 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 the fight against these, these reasons why it was discredited. That's all behind us now. Incorrectly discredited. Incorrectly discredited. Yeah. Then, thank you. Yeah. So I, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a, a paper that's, that's, I think, my fo- most famous reject, well, not unquestionably, my most famous rejected paper, um, called Capability Myths Demolish. And, uh, and when, when we published the paper, the, uh, the, the very negative reviews we got were a very good snapshot of what the elite thought about capabilities in the way that they reacted to the paper, so we published the rejections. Uh, um, In any case, uh, beyond that, uh, what I've really brought to capabilities is a language centricity. It was mostly operating system centric, a distributed system centricity, and then the community growing around our work, uh, also bringing those same ideas out to the user interface figuring out how to solve many usable secure problems using capability ideas as manifested in the user interface. And later, Dean will be talking about the Norm Hardy Prize. Or Alan, or, uh, Dean, you're... Okay, uh, but uh, that's about advancing on the usable security side of things, which is necessary. It's the thing that's at the boundary between the human, the, the, the world of humans and their rights and the world of the world we're building of software systems and and their rights. We have to solve the problem at the interface. Did this conversation pique your interest? Maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you. Search for Fawcett Institute on YouTube or Twitter to stay up to date or visit Fawcett.org to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts. We are entirely funded by your donations, so please support us if you like what we do. Thank you so much for listening.